Welcome to The Changemakers, the podcast where we delve into the life lessons from the lockdown, those that are living it, those that are learning from it, and those that are leading their organizations through it. Now, today's episode could quite so easily have been called Sheffield United, but it isn't, in fact, because my guest today, um, as well as being born in the same city as me, Sheffield, and supports Sheffield Wednesday. So we all know that he's very thrilled that the football season has been suspended. But that's, I guess, the worst of his story. The best of his story is that he has created the big data sensation Wandisco. It's a business that's co-located, co-headquartered in the steel city of Sheffield and also in San Ramon, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Wandisco is quoted on the AIM markets and it has made its mark over these last seven years. David Richards, welcome to the show. Great to have you on as my very first guest. Michael, a pleasure to be here. I noticed you had to get Sheffield United in. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your your longer hair on the screen here and I'm, I must say you do look a bit like Alex Tabella. <laughs> Alex Sabella, just for listeners' interests, um, given that this is supposed to be about the lessons of optimism and positivity um, during the coronavirus crisis, we've we've opted to start our interview in the 1978-79 glory days of Bramall Lane and Alex Sabella being one of the three Argentinian million-pound strikers hired into... Um, into the uh, English uh, English professional leagues. Of course, um, we heard of two of them, Ricky Villa and um, Ozzy Ardiles, as I remember. Anyway, we're well off, off stream. David, let's start with you. I mean, we're living in these extraordinary times. How do you see it? Where, where are we now? It is extraordinary. Um, it, was, it, it was surreal six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, when this thing first started. Um, uh, to be honest with you, from a from a Wandisco, from a business perspective, from my own perspective, it's business as usual. Um, mm. It's actually, in a strange way, helping our business, which I, I hate to say in these really difficult times because I know in retail, uh, airlines and other things are, are really going to struggle. Anything that's face-to-face, of course, is really going to struggle. But from our perspective, we already had systems and processes in place that meant that we could pretty much uh, carry on as carry on as normal, and I think we're very fortunate to be in that position where basically everybody can telecommute in the company and, and operate as normal. Mm, I mean, if, and obviously you're you know you're headquartered in both Sheffield and, and San Ramon. I mean, are, are both teams working remotely now? Yeah, we, we're we're a global organisation, so we have um, we have dual headquarters between Sheffield and San Ramon. We also have developers in Saint Petersburg. Um, uh, support engineers in China and sales in Australia. And what's actually happening is communication uh, um, has improved quite dramatically. One of the bizarre, strange things about this, I suppose, is that normally when you're on a conference call and you kind of have three or four people in, a, in an office maybe and two or three people remote, you end up with these, the people in the office end up having like a side conversation and communication for the people remote is really disadvantaged. It's really hard to understand what's going on. Our management, weekly management meeting that we had yesterday actually is a good example. They've been massively more effective. The meetings are mm. much shorter. Communication is much better. And um, I, I think it's also, I'm, I'm, I'm on, um, I advise a couple of other companies as well. And one of them is really struggling because they do not have, they have very much a top-down structure where really the CEO makes all of the decisions and 
at the moment, people are hanging around waiting to see what's going to happen because the, the employees are not empowered. I think the companies that are going to thrive in this environment have empowered employees. Okay, they- so empowerment. That's the entrepreneur um, speaking, I guess, in terms of well, what do you do in terms of keeping an organization on the move? How does the scientist, the data engineer, the technologist see this global crisis that has unfolded over the course of the last few months? I mean, in terms of how you how you compute that, how you make sense of it, in terms of how much has changed so quickly, how do you see it? Well, um, I mean, from a data science perspective um, and talking to, talking to my peers in and around the space as well, we're having a horrid time trying to work out what the data means associated with COVID-19. It's horrendous because you don't know how many people have had it. You don't know how many people have got it. You, we have absolutely no clue whatsoever. We do not know what the denominator is really. And we don't even know if lockdown is going to be an effective strategy, which is a pretty bad place to be. I mean, could you imagine running a government right now? I mean, it's really hard to know what to do. So governments, of course, have got to take the safe path. They can't just, you know, do this herd immunity thing, which I think the the UK government wanted to do initially. It's, it's, It's an incredibly, it's an incredibly hard time. From a, there are some counterintuitive things that are happening that I looked down our sales pipeline and saw um, a couple of airlines in it. And I immediately put a red line through them and said, they're not, they're, they're deals for whenever they, whenever the airlines come back wrong. Those deals are happening right now because people are using this uh, vacuum, this, this gap in the economy in order to make change. And it's accelerating change in particular movement to cloud is happening. So mm. where the airlines are now saying, you know, we're going to move our mission critical revenue systems because when we come out of this, we're going to have to behave very differently. Our business is going to look very different. So we need to adapt our IT systems right now in order to cope with that. And they, rather than putting their foot on the brake with this IT modernization project that they were looking at, they've pressed the accelerator, which is really strange. Because these these are these are in effect, old school businesses that were sort of being weighed down by legacy issues with their with their old kit. And of course, you know, I suppose the question is, is that is this part of the survival strategy where actually you've got to reinvest and, and recreate these businesses in a period of time where you're you're looking at partial destruction of them as well? Oh, that's correct. So if you if you look back in history, the Great Depression, you know, who really won coming out of the Great Depression? It was IBM. So why did they win? Because the thing that actually happened is automation happened. As we came out of the Great Depression in the 20s, we came, in 1930, IBM won an, won an enormous project with the US government to store all their employment data, which really was the making of IBM, because James Watson decided to keep all of his employees busy making machines for when they came out of the Great Depression. So there's a sort of a clue there, I think, which is things like artificial intelligence, what is really machine learning is now going to be a thing. As we come out of this period, which is undoubtedly going to lead to a, to a, quite a significant economic trough, there's going to be a, a depression, I think, akin to what we saw in the, in what we didn't see, we went around, but what, we, what the world saw in the 1920s. But you've got to get on the other side of it, like IBM did, because it's going to be automation, automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, mm. that can only really happen in the cloud. And it was really interesting, the thought process 
um, from this particular major airline who know that this is going to happen. They know that their pricing strategy is going to have to change. They need better systems in order to do this when they come out of when we come out of this uh, and we, and we so, so, so a scientific age may well come out of this um, in, term, in terms of where, where we go with that. Before that happens, the, the world has got one hell of a fight on its hands. I mean, you, you see it from the perspective of you've lived in both the US and, and the UK. So you've, you've got a good sense of how those respective societies and governments work, I guess, in terms of how they're operating under the stress of of the coronavirus what, what what do you how would you compare and contrast right now yeah that's a that's a really interesting question the us of course is a, is an enormous place and you know certainly both coasts and the center of the country but are all very different and also very different from the uk i mean there, there there tends to be a little bit more of a libertarian attitude towards life in the us um and i i would say i think people really don't like to be told what to do possibly more so in the us than than in the uk so I think it's been quite hard for a lot of people to accept. I mean, I've I've got friends in, for example, Texas that are still going out and playing golf, and really, you know, it wasn't taken that seriously in in Middle America from the anecdotal evidence that I've got. I think the response, particularly of Donald Trump, um, has been very mixed. Um, I think some people, you know, the inject yourself with bleach thing was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, to call it a joke was just, I mean, you can't even imagine that in British politics, anything like that ever happening. But it does happen in the US, unfortunately. Um, I think the I think the UK government have sort of stuttered and stumbled initially. You know, they were going down one path, the herd immunity, and then, then very clearly changed and went down a different path. Um, I think the economic response, I think the new chancellor has done just an amazing job. I really do mm. think that that's been very decisive and extremely good. I think the economic response in the US has also been extremely good. And they put in safety measures to make sure that this isn't just free cash for a bunch of companies that don't really need it. So I think the response has been very different between both places. I think the 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 makeup of the of you know certainly the middle of America is very, very different. You can't even compare it to the UK um, at all. And I don't think it's been taken quite seriously, possibly in some places in the US. As others, I, I wonder, as a from a kind of science and technology perspective, when when you do see, you know, what you described as the kind of more more tentative approach in in the early days of this, is that is that is that not an important part of not not necessarily being answer led when you don't even know what the questions are? I mean, when you're facing something as as new and as so potentially overwhelming as, as this virus. I mean, I wonder, I wonder the degree to which anyone could have ever got it right um, in those early days when, when, we, when we come to write the, the history books on this. Yeah, I think, I think hindsight is going to be an amazing thing here. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my peers are looking at, uh, at Sweden and pointing out Sweden wasn't locked down and the death rate's lower than the UK, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, you know, they've maintained social distancing, but certainly have kept bars and, and, and shops and things open. It's going to be, it's a really hard conundrum because everybody knows that poverty kills. Everybody knows that, you know, suicides and, you know, abuse from people having to stay in, in, indoors, etc. It's a horrific uh, set of decisions and with, with, without good data and in some cases without any data, I just don't know how um, you know how they can how governments in general can make good decisions because it's it's just impossible. I mean, I mean, do you get a sense that 
we're moving. I mean, you know, a lot of countries are saying we're moving into new the new phases, new chapters. I mean, in terms of the lessons that we're learning along the way, and are we getting smarter? I mean, you're you're at the front line of innovation. You're seeing a lot of different things. I mean, do you get a sense that the private sector is coming up with smart solutions here in terms of the what happens next? Yeah, I think it's. I, I think one of the most interesting things to come out of this is. Could you imagine all this happening without the cloud? I mean, all of the things, whether it's Zoom now that we're using to meet with people, FaceTime in order to communicate with with family and friends, all of this technology that we now just take for granted, you know, that we could loosely call the utility computing that's as ubiquitous as electricity into our homes is just phenomenal. And I think mm. that the use, our use of technology has changed possibly without us even realizing it. We're now using the cloud in ways that many of us, myself included, thought was going to happen in 10 years. It's happening now. This idea of this very Victorian idea, for example, in my world of being a public company, of having to go and do an AGM that, you know, quite frankly, one uh, one person turns up for the free sandwiches and cups of tea and then doesn't bother listening or asking any questions, but you still have to go this through this rigmarole of having an AGM. That's totally stupid. It's absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's such an old-fashioned idea. They should be online. If we'd, if we'd Zoomed our you know, AGM, we'd probably get 30 people attend, and it would be a really useful meeting. So things like that are going to change, I think, in a way that we'll never go back. I think I mean, the I idea mean, of... I mean, I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of people say, is that you know, we're going we're gonna to rip up the rule book, we're going to tear things up, we're going to do things very differently. But of course... If, I guess if history teaches you one thing, it's that, I mean, how often do we really learn our lessons? Will there not be a kind of, if you like, a kind of almost like a pullback to sort of going back to the things that we were comfortable with? Or do you think it's the brave new world? I mean, is now the time where mm-hmm. the technologists really have found their moment to move it on, not just in terms of the services and the technologies we use, but in fact, the whole way we do business in the I, future? I think there are certain things, uh, particularly around financial services where they hate change. Governments, regulators hate change. You know, why can't we do an AGM online? Why do we have to do face-to-face shareholder meetings? Um, you know, why can't we um, Zoom, uh, you know, w- webinar uh, uh, annual report and things? It's, it's ridiculous that we have to do this face-to-face. You know, our AGM t- costs God knows how much in carbon footprint, flying six people over from, from California, for a meeting that lasts for 10 minutes where I read out a script um, and, you know, and then no shareholders turn up and it's just a complete waste of time, effort and money versus doing that remotely. I, I, I think the reason it's going to change is because the rule makers said, you know, we, we don't want to, we just don't want to do that. And, and there's no proof. There was no proof previously that you could use this technology in order to, in order to fulfill that. Now we've got proof and there's no possible way that, that, either companies or shareholders will go back to the old-fashioned way of doing it. It's not going to happen. And that's phenomenal, by the way. That is just – I think my travel is going to go down probably 70% as a result of that. So your airline clients are going to be thrilled to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course, that that does speak to, you know, what the – I guess the you know the silver lining on a very dark cloud is, is that there's there's plenty of lessons to learn and, and, you know, ideas – to, to, to sort of implement and and really changes to make. But in the meantime, 
we've got to go through this incredibly turbulent period. And I guess, you know, questions in terms of how you yourself stay positive. I mean, you're one of the most optimistic people I know in terms of how you see the ability of the future to get better. If you were to advise people that are listening to this, thinking about, you know, they're finding it tough, they're finding reasons to be hopeful, they want the kind of, I guess, the coping mechanisms to really get through it in a good place. What what are the lessons you'd share? I think this is a unique opportunity um, to do to get stuff done, right? So we're not facing the hustle and bustle of, you know, things have closed down, bars and restaurants we know, but retails basically has completely closed. That gives a lot of people an opportunity to build for the future right now. Things that you might have pushed off, uh, projects that that you might have thought, you know, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. And of course, you never get to it because there's always something new that's happening every day. Those long-term future plans, you can implement right now. Like IBM did when they, you know, began to build out computer technology in the 1930s, in the early 1930s. They, thr- they thrived and prospered because they did precisely that. They built for the future in a unique moment in time where things had basically slowed to ground to a halt as, as they have now. So it's different from, it's different from Wandisco because right now there's, a, there's a, a clamor and a stampede to go to the cloud, probably because those companies that have been talking about going to the cloud for three years, thinking, we are, yeah, we're going to adopt artificial intelligence and machine learning technology to run our business. We're going to look at automation. Well, they're doing that now. They are, they are. So the, the new competitive landscape has actually been pulled forward. Companies that don't do this, if you look at the, the opposite side of it, what, what if all your competitors are using machine learning technology? What if they're using mm. artificial intelligence in order to run their businesses and you're not? You're never going to catch up. Okay, so that's the imperative. But in terms of how you summon up the, the courage, the attitude, the can-do to do it, final thought on the advice you give to people to do precisely that. Entrepreneurs like myself are contrarians, and you know because entrepreneurs would never start a business because it's bloody hard to do, and you know most people would tell you not to do it in the first place. To be quite honest, right? So a rough translation: contrarian is difficult bugger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an awkward sod. Yeah. So um, I, I think now is the time to be contrarian. Everybody think the, everybody thinks the world's going to hell in a handbasket. If you listen to all the financial commentators, it's, it's going to be a recession. It's going to be a depression like it was in the 1920s. Sod that. Absolutely not. There, there, is, there is an opportunity. We're going to, you know, the, the order is going to change in, in companies that are important. Make sure you're one of those companies that's important. Take advantage of it. Grasp the nettle right now. Now is a time to be a contrarian. Couldn't find a better way to finish an interview like this. I mean, if we've heard a lesson from David there, it's a time to strike out, be different, be bold, do what it takes in tough times to make that difference. That's all we've got time for um, on this episode uh, of The Changemakers. I wish we had got more time to go into the history of 1970s Sheffield United uh, glory matches, but I mean, we'll save that for another episode and in fact, we'll, we'll do some kind of like some kind of poll that if you want sort of uh, David and I to come back as sort of like, you know, Premier League, uh, Premier League sort of pundits. Mind you, David's team's in the championship. Um, but if you want <laughs> us to come back and talk about the Premiership, we'll be, in the words of another great Californian resident, we'll be back 
Thank you very much, David. <laughs> Thanks, Michael.